Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. We went down for this, and we came back to this. Oh. Now it's come to this, and uh, I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. This is a movie podcast, and uh, this is a big one. This was this a, is a big one. This is a journey. This is an actual trip, a journey. Yeah, we to uh, seek a movie out. We're here to talk about Jackie Brown, the one and only, which <laughs> has been the avatar of our podcast <laughs> for the for the whole time we've done this. Right, Robert yeah. Forster in uh, right that's, Billingtons. That's uh, yeah. That's one of the several images that I like to use to represent our show, even though. It's taken us 110 episodes to get here. <laughs> to get to this one. To get to this. But we are across 110. You have to hit up Cruel Jaws and uh, like <laughs> Waxworks Things, before you, you know. like, you can't just like, you don't show up at orgies naked. Like we right. build to that. Well, that's know? what I mean. So it's come uh, to this, you know, you don't, you don't start off with the heavy hitters. You got to build. Yeah. And we have built to this. There's not many heavier hitters than, for me, than Jackie Brown. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like... One of the movies that frequently gets thrown into my head is my favorite movie. My absolute number one. I want to say maybe this was the movie that kind of started the idea of us even doing a show like this. But, yeah. You know. Um, we have a, a shared love of, uh, uh, of this movie. Do we want to talk about seeing it with uh, Robert Forrester yeah. in attendance a yeah, few years we, ago? Uh, this is, so for a long time, this has been my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. and uh, and It's in it's, my top three. I, yeah, yeah. I adore it. Yeah. It's it's one that has just grown on me ever since first seeing it back then. For a movie that was regarded as kind of a bomb, you know mm-hmm. that it made like seventy five million dollars, but it was following up uh, the impossible you know, follow up to Pulp <laughs> right? Fiction. Like nothing could follow. We that. talked about this a little earlier today about how if you lived around when Pulp Fiction came out, you wouldn't understand how. Uh, huge how it was insane how part of the culture it yeah. immediately became yeah just like twin peaks just invaded everything in the early 90s in, yeah. yeah 94 whenever 94, pulp fiction yeah. came out pulp fiction just saturated to everything it was in everything everything and it was a huge thing to follow up and jackie brown was not the movie that was going to follow it up even very different a, tone yeah, but uh even yeah. though it was a huge hit by by terms of profit margins but it is a film that gets better and better with with every rewatch. I mean, it's a film about aging that only gets better the more I age. Yeah, really. <laughs> we are going to be... We're closer to being Max Cherry's age than we are to when the movie came out. Yeah, that's a not great thing to think so, about. But. <laughs> I'm going to keep growing into this movie. but So yeah, this movie was, has always uh, been really special to me. But if, and Robert Forster is... Man, he's maybe my favorite actor. Uh, and it's because of... This is I, this is a big part of that, yeah. When I first saw this, I was 15, 16. Uh, I had no idea who Robert Forrester was. I had no idea who Pam Greer was. Yeah. You know, I knew Sam Jackson and Robert De Niro, but these two stars of this movie, uh, I had no... This was my introduction to them, and I love that, <laughs> and I love right. them. And this movie's so big. A few years ago, we got to see a Forrester Q&A after 
a Jackie Brown screening. Absolutely. Yeah, he came up. Uh, we're in the North Bay area here. and Yeah. Uh, it was such a delight to hear him talk, and <laughs> we also have gotten to take part of a out. bad phone call with him. Well, that happened, yeah, a few years earlier. <laughs> William Lustig's like, "I got a special guest coming," and uh, yeah, we watched phoning Vig- in we after watched Vigilante, right? Yeah, we watched Vigilante, which is the great Forster. Uh, we'll Fred do that Williams one eventually, one. sure, I'm sure. And Lustig was there presenting it and talking about it. And he says, and I got a special guest at the end. He's going to call in. And he didn't outright say it was Forrester, but everybody, it was heavily implied that it was Robert It was going to be Robert Forrester, yeah. And uh, sure enough. And then it's suddenly it's a problem getting him on the phone after after Vigilante, which is, what, it's like 10 o'clock? 10 p.m. Yeah. probably. Well, with a cell phone in a movie theater. Yeah, it's literally you know. Lustig standing in front of the theater with a speaker phone on. And Forster's like, it's like he got woken up. I think that's and probably like, what happened. And yeah. he's like, Bobby, I told you I was going to be calling. <laughs> and he's like, well, you didn't say 10 p.m. <laughs> he's like, Bobby, what? <laughs> Just doing a vigilante screening at 10 a.m.? What's Forster thinking? Like, well, I guess he guess Bill didn't call. Maybe maybe he thought it was going to be before the movie. I, maybe you know, maybe uh, seven so, eight o'clock rolled around. And he's like, well, I guess we're not doing that thing. So. so once that happened, I figured like, well, that's the most I'm that's ever going to get. That's Forster our Forster story. thing. Yeah. That's all I'm going to get. We heard him on the phone. But then Lustig felt it was so funny that he then pushed Forster to come up and be a guest. Oh, like he's okay. been so Lustig urged him to do it. That's because he'd have a good time. Uh, Forster. He said because Lustig travels up here all the time. He said Forster never did. It'd mm. be a great time to like hang out in wine country. And man, just listen. I, he has one of my favorite voices. Just to hear Lustig. I love his demeanor. I love it. He's right. like a cooler Regis Philbin. Ha. <laughs> old old Much Forster. Cooler. Old Much Forster cooler. is like that. Yeah, and yeah. Just the char- most charming, the, the stories funny, are great. self-effacing guy who's super positive mm-hmm. for a guy who I think this movie connects with me so much and, and has because it's the same kind of Cosmo in Killing of a Chinese Bookie story, but a guy with a different moral compass. Mm. Max Cherry's not that different from Cosmo. You know, he's older. He's still good at it. You know, he wants to be comfortable. Yeah. yeah. He, they're looking for a different kind of comfort and a different kind of notoriety. Hmm. And it's just confronting that aging where you're no longer, you know, it's Rick Dalton, man. Yeah. You know, it's easy breezy. He's still good. He's no longer the fat. He's getting tired. I like movies about guys that are getting kind of tired. <laughs> it's relatable, man. That's why the I'm movie so, just I'm keeps so getting better, right? Yeah. The movie just keeps getting better the more tired I get. The more you can see the weariness into these people that are grinding in their own different ways. And this is like the least annoying representation of grinding mm. in a movie. There's, there's no real hustling. You know, there's there's people grinding. And they're all so good at it. Yeah. I I just fell in love with this movie at a certain point. And it just gets deeper every time I see it. It's so perfect to me. So it's just going to, this episode is just going to be me just yeah. <laughs> like getting emotional and gushy over yeah. how much I love this movie. Break out the Kleenex, guys. And no. uh, <laughs> so we got to see this movie again recently. Because seeing it with Robert Forrester and talking to him and asking him about his hairline. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. You got to do the Q&A. Yeah. I had to know about the hair. Because the hair, his hair stuff in Jackie Brown is maybe my favorite hair stuff from a guy who has nothing but a career filled with people talking about his hairline. That's kind of his thing. He really took it and ran. Well, (laughs) it was Alligator. Alligator was people actively bringing up his hairline to him. Mm-hmm. And then from there, he's like, I got to get the ball back in my court. <laughs> then he was beaten. Every other movie after that is him beat. He shows up to every meeting. He's like, just want to point out that, yes, I got plugs <laughs> a few years ago. Still keeping it a little thin on top. Makes it natural. He's just really throwing it out there in every movie after yeah. it. And it's so good. It's like, I just had to know. And it is, as you learn with Forrester, a lot of it just is what it looks like. He's his guys. He acts a lot of roles that are who he is. Right. And I think that's makes it what makes Max Cherry so easy to connect to. It's so easy to buy into everybody in this movie as who they are. It's a great casting job. And it was giving all these people ways to shine in ways that they were not shining. Well, and yeah, the uh, more I watch this movie, not only is it probably the best Forster. But it's got it. This has got to be my favorite Sam Jackson performance. Oh yeah! Uh, thinking of all the great performances in his career, Django is really great. Um, Django was the yeah. one that I kept going, Ugh, bouncing oh, back. Yeah. But seeing Ordell is you realize he just dominates the for, screen for a, in the a best movie way. that is essentially about Pam Greer and Robert Forster. Ordell has to carry like two hours of this movie. Yeah, he's like eighty percent of this film, even though he's technically not the star of the film. And I, I think, like you said, he does it effortlessly. Yeah, you know, this um, dude looks so. Yeah, we've all seen movies with like Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, where it becomes the part of the movie where they're riffing, mm-hmm. and it's just Eddie like trying to ring out any potential joke from a scene. And in movies like The Golden Child, it's kind of painful. Like right. the laughs don't connect, but they're like, just let Eddie go. It's funny. It'll be great. <laughs> Obviously, Sam Jackson is, you know, this movie did have some improv to it, like it yeah. uh, to some certain scenes. Michael Keaton used a lot. Uh, right. And so you see some of these different takes with Sam Jackson as Ordell, where he's just dominating six minutes of dialogue in a scene, talking mm-hmm. about some hobby, explaining the gun trade to a to a dumb guy, talking about Man. like actors. So you if, know, if just... this is the improvisational stuff, then the, is that why De Niro hardly says a word in, <laughs> in his scenes? <laughs> That's why it's he's perfect. He's got nothing to add improvisational wise. I, I love this De Niro performance I, though. This is the this this movie is it was such a like. People were not expecting this, obviously, when it came out. Yeah. And especially the De Niro role of him right. being this befuddled, kind of sweaty stoner. Just This was De Niro doing this. Was they like, had never really seen this before. Like Forster bringing up his, his plugs is the same as uh, we'd already had several years of there being soft-spoken little boot kind mm-hmm. of De Niro impressions, making fun of him using... There's already De Niro impressions right. on SNL and stuff. And this is him doing like, yeah, I'll do the dumb De Niro impression. I'll show you guys dumb De Niro. <laughs> and it is 
That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it is it's like, the dumbest. It is one of my absolute favorite. It's almost roles. it's almost childlike. Yeah, often Lewis is like it's such a bizarre. Yeah, the more I watch, the more him and Odell. Yeah, uh, as these old friends, uh, that that really hits more. The more I see it, this Just movie like, has such great connections throughout. Yeah. And, and yeah, Keaton, Michael Keaton, at, <laughs> at his most Michael Keaton He's in so, this movie. Yeah. Just fully exaggerated uh, mannerisms. Um, but yeah, everything is great in this movie. Everything is great. Everyone and is great. Every, so seeing uh, it with, yeah. with Forrester and getting to talk to him, getting my picture with him, getting to stand mm-hmm. with him, showing him my stupid black hole action figure Dude, and he uh, was pretty taken aback by that i can i remember well it's so uh he <laughs> yeah guys eric has a black hole action figure of robert forster yeah well i had to like from this it's like from the 70s yeah it's when from the movie like, came from out from 79 yeah. or 80 uh but yeah the guy has an action figure in an era when not everyone was getting an action figure that's pretty cool yeah there was he did movies with the, the they didn't make a novelization dead action figures no we didn't get the <laughs> the walking the Anthony edge, Quinn with his dolls. high pants <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> the Bradford Dillman figure no they they weren't his biggest sellers yeah but yeah he he said something he was like he was like yeah you know they've had merchandise of me but he's like I'm bad with those things I lose them <laughs> he's like I like I have some there's a trunk in my garage he's like but I'm bad with that stuff. This is a guy who's been everywhere and done everything. Mm-hmm. He's been a hundred grand in debt, and then he comes back to the highest point of his career. Nominated for an Academy Award for it's this It's impossible role. not to just get into his work when you can see it's so much of who he is as mm-hmm. a guy. But So I connect with this movie huge. And you think it's not going to get too much better than seeing it with the man himself and getting to talk to him about it. But because we're obsessed idiots... <laughs> Uh, it would have recently been Forster's 80th birthday. He passed a couple years ago. Right. Feels like several years ago now. But it was, he, uh, uh, October, he was October uh, 2019. Yeah. He passed and away. And so uh, this would have been his 80th birthday. And Quentin Tarantino's theater in L.A., the New Beverly, mm-hmm. does a Forster double feature every year. So... They That's were showing we Jackie Brown and Alligator, and we kind of did a last-minute decision to drive down seven hours to L.A. to see. Yeah. Did I mention we're in the North Bay area? Yeah. yeah. It was a little we, bit of a drive. We, uh, we, we took a, a... We went did a late-night down. trip, yeah. Uh, spent the day in, in L.A. hanging out, uh, and then, yeah, saw a double feature at the New Beverly, which is something I Which is our I first never, time we've ever... Uh, something I never really thought I would do, kind of. Well, that kind if of you thing. recall, well, this is within why, a yeah. month... Before the pandemic, we almost went. We did. We almost did a last minute trip. There was some feature that was playing. I don't even remember it was, what. Now. I was think it was just Once Upon I a think Time it was in gonna Hollywood. Be, yeah, exactly. I think we wanted to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the New Beverly. Yeah, literally, this was like the first week of March, twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. We were gonna do this, and then I was just like, eh. Like let's do it this summer. We were kind. Of, we were literally. Yeah, eh, we'll do it. Like, can we just do it this summer? I got the uh, big best of issue that I work on every year. <laughs> yeah. Like, eh, it's not great timing. Not two, great timing. Two weeks. We later, kind of talked each other up after a couple beers to say like we could drive down. We could do this. We yeah. could leave tomorrow. We could, you know, real last minute thing. And then the next day, you wake up and it's like, ah, I gotta go to work. I gotta do this. Yeah. I gotta. F- I get it. I get it. But th- that was March, and we figured, oh, you know, he'll be playing this movie all through. We'll you see know, it this it's award season now. He'll definitely be playing it through the summer. Like, and well, 
<laughs> cut to like two uh, weeks later everything shut down yeah and uh, we didn't see a movie in the theater for uh you know a year yeah so, so then now uh this summer uh the cat's out of the bag on the podcast now my wife is pregnant and about to have a baby yeah and so yeah. all of a sudden there's another six-week deadline before i'm probably not going to be able to go to yeah, la charlie um, yeah charlie year. might not be able to do any last minute uh <laughs> la road trips down five uh for like the next year and a half yeah so, so we, uh, that kind of i saw that they were doing the forster double feature mm-hmm. there was another one it was it was down between two because they were doing a rat double feature Later yes. this month, killer rat double feature of unknown origin good. and deadly eyes. We we were leaning towards killer rat, and then uh, we figured you know, sooner rather sooner than rather than later is yeah. probably better. Let's get it. Just do this and and yeah, Jackie Brown at at Tarantino's theater where he they play his prints of the movies. Yeah, thirty five millimeter, all in thirty five millimeter, and like, uh, yeah. it's been a it's been like a dream destination for a bit. Right. I've been wanting to go to this theater for quite some time. For even before uh, our previously aborted sure. trip, and I wanted to either see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or this. Mm-hmm. If I was going there for a Tarantino movie, right? And well, we did it. We did it. And so yeah, we were down cool. in L.A. for barely a barely an afternoon. Jeez. Seems like basically we, yeah, uh, like a day. We got this great, perfect. Uh, the weather couldn't have been better. Late like high seventies. Backyard patio, yeah. Tejano music uh, from next door playing per- at the right volume, like for yeah. The a- nice afternoon breeze, cool, like, cool Airbnb, yeah, Airbnb to hang out. Yeah, we found this last minute place to stay in this old bunch of old twenties Hollywood, uh, not mansions. There's a couple mansions. There's one that looked There's like a big goddamn houses. hotel. Yeah, a lot of brick buildings, which I didn't know it was existed like, down there. It was like Pico and Olympic area, if you yeah. know LA at all, but. And uh, it was just the best area to walk around in on a nice afternoon. Yeah. So we had this relaxing afternoon knowing we'd be in this old movie theater for six hours <laughs> uh, <laughs> later that night. And yeah, this was all first time New Beverly. Uh, we got there early. There was already a line showing up. Yeah. Like three hours before. They do some standby. We, we got tickets reserved. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thanks Thank to God. Brian. Thanks to Brian at, at, at the New, New Beverly. Beverly for hooking. So up. yeah, he uh, helping us out with that. We uh, went down with tickets on on name for us, which whoa, would have been would have been a trip that wouldn't have happened. Pretty cool with uh, without yeah. that dice roll. Really nice of them to do that. And so they were setting it up and couldn't have worked out more amazing. Uh, it was an enthusiastic crowd in a very uh, respectful way. There was people right. that it, it was a room full of people that loved this movie. It was uh, yes the the crowd you know starts applauding when the lights go down the name you know Quentin Tarantino comes up everyone's yeah, applauding big into it Jackie Brown all the Ooh. names are coming Pam up Greer. Pam Greer Forster yeah. Forster yeah people are in people it. are going nuts for Michael Forster. Keaton love Michael Keaton in this one all the hitters Bridget Fonda yeah even fuck the yeah. Editor, remember Bridget Fonda editor Sally Menke gets an oh applause. Menke got big <laughs> once we hit through a few of the executive producers it quieted out Sally Menke comes up it's like yeah people were into this and then you always get hit with the, like the low blow. It's always built it's into always the Weinstein. The produced by Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and you can hear an audible like, ah, right, ah, right, in the theater. There we go. Oh, right, Miramax. There we Shit. are. Shit, problematic. <laughs> yeah, just as like, ugh. And then, yeah. and then back to clapping for Tarantino. But So it was a good crowd, and you so can funny. tell that from the line. People were chatty. People were into it. 
and I've never been inside, and I didn't know what to expect. When you hear old theater, I'm picturing kind of the Bruin in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or any of these ornate uh, South American, like you've seen these Cuban theaters, and all they have these great, like in popcorn. All these island uh, countries have these beautiful theaters. Big, tall, Uh kind of, yeah, ornate stuff. And this one was more of that kind of Chinatown theater vibe or like a porno theater. Almost Grindhouse. Vibe. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say it's kind of a lower ceiling. Uh, the, it feels... They had the old chairs, which, uh, man, having not sat in those old theater chairs for a couple of years because we get the recliners now. Yeah, I'm not a now, huge person, I was like, but wow. I felt like jam sardined into this old theater. Yeah. It's like, man, what were what did we do? You know what who was a huge person? The guy next to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Beardy McLarge Lap is just jammed in uh, ass to elbow with Charlie. <laughs> nice to see you. I, I was next to a guy that didn't move and didn't make a sound <laughs> for six hours. That's a dream. Man, it was, That's the dream. I would only remember there was a body next to me when I would kind of uncross my leg and bump somebody and be like, Jesus. And even then he, he didn't react. And there was no reaction. <laughs> it was like I was next to Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, no. <laughs> like I didn't. Uh, well, then you can't look they, over because what they, if you think of it? He never he never got up after the movie no, either. He never, no, we just I left him I there. just took off. I went down the other aisle. But it was a oh, guy smelled terrible. It's one of these <laughs> theaters that's much more. Yeah. Like that grindhouse vibe of. This is a concrete room, and there's a screen at one end of it. Yeah. Kind of feeling. You go into the bathroom, and there is maybe room for oh three guys Is that, that, in there. That, that's not wheelchair accessible bathroom in That there, door, that? it feels like you're going into a like a magic portal. <laughs> yeah. It feels like you're entering a, like a like space a shuttle uh, cockpit. Yeah. It's the tiniest little door. Like It, it feels like you're going into a broom closet. Door. I actually thought I was about to go into like the ticket booth right next to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is... I walked around that place uh, like John Travolta looking around for the intercom, <laughs> like looking for the, I mean, the, the lobby is not a very big space, very yeah. tiny lobby. Yeah. Um, good prices on concessions, by the way. Good popcorn for good for a good price. They had vegan hot dogs, which I did not partake, partake yeah. in, but everyone else but, seemed to be getting one. So highly of, recommended. A lot of hot dog talk. Around us. The kids love the dogs. But, <laughs> so they're infamous, I guess. They're fucking phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, I looked around that whole tiny 10, you know, that 10 foot lobby. The last place I looked was this <laughs> tiny sliver of a door that looks like, looks like maybe a. Uh, it looked painted on. Like yeah. it looked, <laughs> it's like a fake door. It was funny. There's, in the bathroom, there was another smaller door. <laughs> next to the urinal there was a tidier door it's like what are we doing here this is being john malkovich portal in the tiny urinal next to the- i did love the bathrooms had a speaker playing the movie while it was going on yeah oh you well you i had to go during, during the, movie. the movie but i yeah, did not know that they, you get the audio from the from the movie in oh, the bathroom great yeah so like you don't a miss a thing touch. it was uh yeah i was like okay i know exactly where we are instead of like now you go to the bathroom and you just hear like Peter Gabriel. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Or just a guy in a stall going, Ugh. a lot of grunters. <laughs> a lot of grunters in movie theater stalls. Guys, go before yeah, you go. A, <laughs> I don't know tough, what to tell you. Scene, <laughs> so this that's cool. That's a nice uh yeah. nice little feature. But yeah, cool theater, great sound. The the Jackie Brown print was perfect. Yeah. Had that cool little it makes it a real big, you know, they make burn. a big deal out of this being all 35 millimeter it's not a digital theater 
And a lot of it are the prints from Tarantino's own collection. Mm -hmm. As you said, the Jackie Brown print was his own. Mm -hmm. And it looked incredible. It looked and sounded amazing. Loved it. And, uh, but the thing with 35 millimeter, the rarer these films get, we saw Alligator, which we'll be doing another episode on. And that had a a nice, like, hot dog pink hue to it the whole time. That one was a much more, uh, someone left that in the sun. There can't be that many 35 prints of Alligator floating around. Ah. And, uh, (laughs) but you got to imagine, I, I wonder if Jackie Brown was one of the first movies he had on his own collection. That's when he had the clout. Like, sure. I'm getting all mine on film. I'm doing this. Like, that's when I'm starting collecting this. Because his collection, you look at the, the lineups, the New Beverly. It is one of those things that if you live in Southern California and love movies, you'd have to force yourself to be like, all right, five a month. I can't yeah. do. You could find yourself. And from people talking around us, there was people going there nightly. Yeah, I talked to a guy in line for the concessions who was – I think, yeah, had basically seen every Tarantino movie there and, yeah, went like once a week, essentially. Yeah. Which, which I, go to like the mo- I go to the movie. It's like a $12 ticket. So, yeah, like, why would you? $12 ticket. I go to the movies once a week now. Right. <laughs> and that's with just like, well, I guess I'm seeing Forever Purge. And he was playing a new movie uh, the next yeah, day. Yeah, Gunpowder Milkshake. So, you can see new movies there. Uh, I, I, I don't know film. why we're doing a fucking ad for these guys now. <laughs> Because uh, it was our it first was time there, and we've talked about going for a no, while. No, but I'm like, and... you can see new movies there. It's cheap. <laughs> you love bucks. it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're welcome. Sponsored by the New Beverly. Uh, but anyways, the movie. Let's get into Jackie the movie Jackie Brown, itself. seen it there. It's it, with a group of people who are not, thank God, it's not the kind of pe- the movie lovers that are saying the lines with the right, movie. Right. Nobody's doing Chris Tucker bits, the row <laughs> behind you. They are enthusiastic to be reacting to this movie Mm -hmm. and this is a movie that i just react to for two and a half hours every part of it every bit of the aesthetics every bit of the sound every bit of the look pam greer looks gorgeous throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. max cherry is the the, my favorite tarantino character with the highest pants (laughs) the highest pants cosmo great hair he looks in the mirror he looks like him he is an underrated badass max cherry max cherry gets you know, does not speak lose softly, his cool with big the, stick yeah. kind of thing. He is a cool character yeah. without being an outwardly cool guy. Him, he wears, yeah, exactly. he has a pager holster on his khakis. You know, this oh, is man, a, we, a professional man. The voicemail of him telling her how to reach him on his beeper. <laughs> it's then not, dial it's, pound, then 059, then wait two seconds. The Paris number. What, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a just goes on oh and on. Oh my god, he but, is such a dweeb yeah. and such a a pro doing a boring job. He is a he's a guy but sell- who carries a gun to he, do that job. He's a step up from a guy who owns his own moderately successful like patio store furniture plate. You know, like could have easily it. done that. Yeah, just him being like, "Oh, you're gonna love this new set we <laughs> got in." Like it's the same kind of salesman vibe. He's selling himself as a service, and it's so believable. But quietly, he's in a very macho-leaning profession. Tough, deals with nothing but tough customers. Right. Roustabouts. There's just that moment where he's talking about grabbing a stun gun and sitting in a guy's house waiting for him to come home. Mm-hmm. It's my job. Yeah, this, this, is, very a, this is a whole movie that is a, you know, a con heist movie that is a major character story. Mm-hmm. You get so deep into the lives of Max Cherry and Jackie Brown and Ordell Roby. 
and Lewis. Mm. There's not as much depths to plumb with Lewis and uh, Melanie. Right. But you get there. You We do we do plumb you, them even if they're not there. <laughs> this movie is all about uh how, you know, people get to where they get. Mm. <laughs> how yeah, right. you know how different paths take you to a certain point and then at a certain point you realize it might be a different street that we you do, want to take. Yeah. Yeah, Melanie we all go, do this. Uh the the surfer girl played by Bridget Fonda. We do yeah. find out that yeah, she's like 14 when it sounds like she runs away and meets yeah. up with Ordell and yeah, you just get that tragic we all kind of backstory. Make a series of choices yeah. in life. Lewis just gets out of the out of jail for doing ten years for a bank robbery and it sounds like him and Ordell go back twenty years twenty at least. years from that. So old jail friends yeah. and uh But yeah, everybody's know, we, got that. We make kind these of, choices. Yeah. You know, and some of them are very boring. I've made a lot of boring choices. <laughs> you know, I've not wanted much. There, there's certain things I wanted, then you strive for specific goals, and sometimes it takes kind of a pretty normal route. And this movie confronts both normalcy mm. and uh, the comforts of life, and you know, just kind of toiling away quietly and right, moderately successfully, and just surviving. And the way we survive, and the way we kind of get locked into ruts without questioning it, it's all humans. It's all very human. Right. Jackie Brown is this 44-year-old flight attendant, you know, mm-hmm. working for a shitty airline, really yeah. doesn't have anything else. Max Cherry, a bail bondsman in his mid-50s who just seems to just have the job. Have the job, bachelor. You know. You know. Goes to the mall by himself, sees movies by himself, eats at the food court, you know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> but, you've, but you fall in love with these characters because they're, they just come off so naturally. Yes. And especially Sam Jackson. I the more I watch this movie, I gotta say, I just think he is actually kind of cool <laughs> and fun. <laughs> like I wouldn't mind hanging out with this guy and having screwdrivers and just hearing him bullshit about guns and stuff. Yeah, it's wild. We so we it's watched just, uh, earlier today engaging. we watched these like uh the the deleted scenes that were on the movie, which I'd never watched before. And there's a couple of extra takes in his scene with lewis after he kills beaumont livingston Mm -hmm. and he's really telling lewis like how deep are you in how good of a buddy are you while also flat out showing him that he had would have no problem murdering him (laughs) yeah and he and he's like really laying it in for dummy lewis like you understand what i'm saying right now and i follow yeah well i I I hear you Mm -hmm. and I really got into this relationship of Lewis and Ordell in this movie. Now now that we've seen this movie so many times, uh, the longer I see a movie, the more I pay attention to the other relationships that aren't jumping out at me mm. on my initial viewings. You know, you learn to appreciate new scenes in a new way once the scenes you initially were your favorite. They can shift the more you grow with a movie, right. you know? And I really love Ordell and Lewis and the way Lewis respects Ordell, you know, the way uh, that really a lot of the movie hinges on that respect. You really pay attention to how much differently the story could have shaken out if uh, Lewis could have been turned on on him. He's trying his best. That's the thing with Lewis is that yeah. he is. Uh, yeah, he's loyal, but he's just not any good at what he does. He's not good. He's not smart. And in this deleted scene, this is why I'm surprised this take was was deleted is uh sam jackson really explaining to him who he is and why he is because he thinks he lewis thinks he's a good guy 
Lewis thinks that Lewis, Lewis is a good guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He doesn't view himself as a bad guy. And, you know, he really, when you're seeing and all the things that Ordell's up to, Lewis does come off like the much nicer, understanding, quieter guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he is respectful and polite. In a lot of ways, when he's uh, really first starts to hang out with Ordell. And just agreeable. Like, one of the uh-huh. most agreeable characters. He is dumb, but he also doesn't get out <laughs> over his skis. <laughs> he knows yeah. where he's at. And he, he recognizes his relationship to Ordell and kind of likes it. Because Ordell is fucking cool. Well, it's, Ordell's a Ordell, cool guy to be Ordell's hanging around with. Ordell's a guy that takes with. care of you, right? And Until... it doesn't seem like an abusive relationship, really. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just a different, you know, it's they made the choices and they got here and they both recognize where they are. And it's a cool movie about that, mm-hmm. about how you can get to an age and still not and still be questioning everything. Still be not, you know, am I getting sick of my job? Should I leave this? Or should I stay in this another 20 years? We all ask these questions. Yeah. And the question that always gets me at the end towards the end of the movie is or not question exactly but the idea of we used to be beautiful or dell says to lewis yeah like what happened what happened you know and it that the the whole movie has this air of you know you're running out of time you're mm-hmm. getting old yeah uh you don't really have any other options except the path that you put everybody yourself on. in the movie and you used yeah. to be beautiful <laughs> yeah you know well you look you see these people you look at even a character like melanie which some of bridget fonda you, there's a lot of Bridget Fonda and, and Robert De Niro just smoking bowls, <laughs> you know, and watching a lot. Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry on like a, <laughs> on like a Wednesday at eleven. There's a lot, but you see, even you know this getting old, this not having your same touch. You learn, you see yeah. Melanie with her fourteen year old roller girl vibe, and then living with Japan with some guy when she was, you know legal but but still a kid <laughs> and uh just because she wanted to live in japan just doing this you know and men would flock to her now she lives in hermosa beach and she gets high all day and she watches helmet burger movies and uh eats ramen yeah you know and she's 30 and everybody's hitting this point at different you know absolutely different no. stages yeah everyone's feeling that and uh this movie is just about that and you, it takes place in all these great old locations that feel like they couldn't exist anymore, mm. like the Cockatoo Lounge. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of cool spots like that. A lot that of cool here. spots, and then you look them up and you realize they don't exist anymore. <laughs> they all got bulldozed in '05, or it's like that's what this part of this movie just feels like. Getting older, things are changing. Mm-hmm. You know that No Country for Old Men, but in a cool coffee foxy brown right aesthetic just a brilliant pastiche of all these things uh i just fall in love with every minute of this movie and it's just so cool it's so hip (laughs) it's so neat this was the first movie i bought as a bootleg vhs from a new york street vendor (laughs) the first of many i take it (laughs) there was uh god damn we a bunch of people did it bunch of we were there on like a school government trip something something like that senior year so i was probably 16 and there was only a few of us there Mm. and yeah just you know this was this would have been 97 98 and yeah street vendors oh so it was like one of those where they had the camcorder in the theater it was like fisheye lens camcorder vhs with a bootleg uh 
all-around print Jackie Brown slipcover, five bucks. That's something else the kids aren't going to know these days. The the idea of having yeah, to man. bring in a full like VHS camcorder to pirate a movie in a theater. Oh man, my Jackie Brown copy was not great. Crazy. There was uh so yeah, my friend Randy bought, <laughs> he bought a, a two VHS Titanic from a street bootlegger 97 baby so that was the year but it had like good looking slip cover that smelled like that hot copy kinko's smell wow you know they're making the all over cover for it his copy of titanic was an actual academy screener Ooh! so it was an actual copy my jackie brown was like a a camcorder and not a great camcorder. (laughs) You got all the people in front of it. It was washed out as hell. I mean, it looked like a man filming close up on a theater screen. You went from that to seeing the Tarantino's own print. Yeah, man. (laughs) In his theater. That's the journey. It came to that. It came to that. Man. I, that that's quite a quite a journey. Me and my that's dad so watched that cut of Jackie Brown. That was how he saw the movie the first time. So I you have, saw the camcorder cut, and then you're like, "Dad, you gotta check this." No, out. that was He's that like, was. We could rent this, son. You know, we could just <laughs> legally rent this. Not yet. Not okay. then. You couldn't. Okay. <laughs> Not then. You couldn't. hadn't come out on the video no, no, yet. No, it was. That's why it was recorded. Hot off the presses. VHS. Yeah, man. Oh my god. That's how much I love this movie. It just connected with me, and it connects more and more and i agree with you sam jackson this man just give him an oscar for this work like it is crazy how forster got the nomination and he deserves it what max cherry brings to this role elmore leonard have you ever read the book rum punch no I, no it's different uh jackie brown's a white woman <laughs> okay and uh max cherry character leonard himself said that you know, he never visioned this character as important hmm. as Robert Forster makes him. Like, oh yeah, this is <laughs> this is what this guy could be. Interesting. Not a you know a a cog in the story, but right. Forster brings so much more heart and vulnerability. Uh, but tough guy to it. You get great you know, role. You get enough of Forster's perspective to yeah see him kind of fall in love with Jackie Brown. And yeah. uh, have this affection for her, and um, yeah, maybe that didn't, it's a, maybe that wasn't a thing that was considered in the uh, <laughs> in the book. I could see it's that. It's a so it's such a, a bigger version of of that character done mm-hmm. with not but not done in bigger ways. It's a quiet character. It's my favorite. And so the Academy obviously was watching this long movie mm-hmm. and thought enough of it that like wow, we we do love honoring. Older guys who are making a comeback. This is the same year that Peter Fonda got right. a Oscar nomination for Yuli's Gold. And I also wonder, wasn't and there even that kind of like, well, he did it with Tar- uh, with Travolta. yeah, Tarantino did it again, yeah. So he's gonna do it again with Pam Greer and Robert Forster, kind mm-hmm. of a thing, yeah. And so it's crazy to me that Forster gets this this nomination, but not Pam Greer. It's the same mm. story, not you know. And Sam Jackson and Pam Greer got Golden Globe nominations. Mm. So it's wild that Forster's role is the one that then gets the Oscar. But it just shows how every character in this movie, and De Niro too, De Niro was never going to get awarded for this performance. Right. 
You don't get awarded for playing just a dumb <laughs> guy who can't string together a sentence. Really only says like nine things in the whole Unless movie. he yeah. was playing in an, an actual retarded man. <laughs> then, right. He should have gone the, full. Yeah, he did. No. He just went dumb guy. Right. He didn't go full. That's a, that, Sorry, just a totally written off performance then. That's funny. But these characters are people. They all feel mm-hmm. like people, and it's impossible to to not just fall in love with them. Pam Greer is, as Jackie Brown, is one of the most lovable leading women in movies. I love her so much. She is the cutest and the the hardest working man, and the yeah. toughest, and the smartest, and the most <laughs> she is cunning, the and coolest. I really picked up on her kind of cunning uh, manipulation stuff this last time watching the movie. Yeah. You you see her uh, really moving the pieces around much more mm-hmm. than I think I noticed. The the one thing about this movie I remember watching it the first time, it is confusing if you don't know the whole setup. Man, you're watching basically <laughs> Jackie Brown triple cross people. <laughs> yeah, and it is one of those where there's a lot of like planning uh, conversations mm-hmm. and uh, test runs of this money drop where she's. Making the cops think one thing, making Ordell think another thing, doing yeah. her own thing, trying not to get killed or go to jail. Might be double crossing people we don't know about. All this stuff going on, so that uh, yeah, you're con- you're so focused on the plot. It's kind of like you know any kind of good mystery. You get so focused on the plot and the mystery. I mean, I remember hearing at the time it was the kind of movie that threw people like that. That was a criticism at the time. Yeah, it was confusing. Like said, the great thing though, it does have the payoff scene where everything. Gels well, you get me. to the that's what I don't the criticism never made sense because you get it perfectly unfolded for you from every vantage point. Totally. From at once you see it unfold, if you are confused, it like, you know, it twists you up and then it like unravels all of it and shows you everything. So there's no questions. Right. So but, that's why it's <laughs> But when you're when you're caught up in that mystery, you're missing the the little stuff about mm-hmm. uh, you know, just the funny kind of banter between her and Odell at the bar. Yeah. Or just the way that she and yeah, Forrester kind of have a every interaction. Little conversation. You're so like, wait, what does that mean? What's where's this going? Even Michael Keaton's leather jacket, like you really <laughs> you really noticed his leather <laughs> just so moving squeaky. around. And stuff like that. Just those details that make it so much better. <laughs> you know? Now it's it's a it's a movie uh has that same thing as uh something like Fargo. Or Big Lebowski. Yes. Yeah, I was going to bring up the Coen brothers. You're watching yeah. these deep, complicated plots, confusing. Like this Big Lebowski plot is so confusing. Until you're finally done with the movie and you realize it's not confusing at all. You've just been following bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And then the next time you watch it, you aren't paying attention to any of the, you know, the second time you watch Usual Suspects, now you can actually just watch mm-hmm. certain people's eyes and watch their movements when they're not the focus of a scene. You know, you can see the other things the guys in Lebowski are doing. Right, uh, just like De Niro. You don't have to follow this plot. De Niro in the background of Max Cherry's office, just, just a bumbling fool just through this office, looking around for anything to do. <laughs> yeah, guy cannot occupy himself. He cannot look comfortable holding a magazine. He is just an just uncomfortable, weird presence at the edge of a room. Car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna go sit in the car just sit for the, the next. Car. Tw- just it's a, it's a real like putty character mm-hmm. just a guy who'll just be staring out a window 
rather than occupy, rather than you know doing something. Oh, just the way he's he's quickly kind of rocking in that lazy boy while Simone, I think her name is, yeah. does does her Supremes <laughs> bit for him. Yeah. Just the way he's clapping he's his clapping hands his on lap his, and on awkward, his lap. doesn't know where to put his hands. So There's, funny. Now that you don't really have to focus on the plot because you know how the movie lets you in on it, uh, I I love this is probably my favorite time watch just watching De Niro mm-hmm. just see just watching him while because it's so tempting for me to always watch Sam Jackson exactly. always watch Forster always watch Greer because De Niro's usually not saying anything but he does so many dumb looks dumb like. Mm, like <laughs> like agreeing with a point and then somebody says something different and he goes mm. like a guy just constantly being swayed by every sentence that someone says right and then those beautiful moments where he where he, he's kind of squinting and thinking like how do i feel about this <laughs> like these guys are saying their points how do i feel and occasionally he tries to say how he feels and it never goes well. This is a man trying to connect. Yeah. He's trying to do his best, like he's, you said. Yeah, and at the end, he's, he wants to do a good job. But yeah. he just can't even control Bridget Fonda. No. You know, and, he, uh, the bumbling at the end is just magnificent it un, stuff. It, it unravels, yeah. man. But watching him now, at yelling, can, can, I get, can I get this coffee? <laughs> and then just bumbling with like a filter. He's confusingly reassembling the coffee pot while while Max Cherry just kind of is looking over Ortel's shoulder at him through the window. I love it. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's so much fun. And Sam Jackson, how this doesn't how this just automatically doesn't make you an Oscar circuit guy. How did that not get that kind of acclaim? It's so it's almost like it's too confident. They're like, we don't want to reward this level of brashness. I almost, yeah, I almost kind of wonder if it, he went too hard. Cause is the, it just the confident, coolest black man? And it's like, ooh, we don't want to. Well, the look, we don't want to goose this. They somehow made his look like a one eighty from Jules in Pulp Fiction. He's got this long, almost red hair. Yeah, he's got that rat tail, the rat tail chin chin thing chin. Ooh. going on. But he just looks different. Like his bones and face look so well. Having, he looks gaunt, or he looks stretched out. And having that kind of bleached his eyes, are long just ponytail, bulging. totally throws off the frame of his head. Yeah. Well, with then the other counterbalance chin chin yeah. strap weight. He also gets to bring his own Kangol uh, collection to the set and wear. This man uh, cool has done hats more the for time. the Kangol Corporation. We get some oh, cool Kangol wearing because. You know, a lot of Kangol wearing is like you picture Tarantino himself wearing it. <laughs> right. Just, Guys who uh, should just be wearing a page boy cap or something. Yeah, trying to go full going Kangol. Full Kangol showing up at a <laughs> you know, working. the premiere for like for jo- Destiny Joey turns Pantoliano. on the radio. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Joey Pants. Uh <laughs> You know, there's Little a lot guy. of like white guys who shouldn't be wearing Kangol's at movie premiere events. Exactly. During the 1994 to 1997, and this movie has proper, uh, this is like returns respect mm-hmm. to the Kangol name that the whites tried to <laughs> reappropriate in the mid 90s. Because <laughs> <laughs> Pam Greer, in her backwards one with her hair waved out, my God. One of the iconic every every some of the looks in every this look movie. in this movie is. I know iconic. you wanted to break down the fashion, 
uh, we got. I was gonna tell. I told Charlie we were gonna rank from one to twelve every yeah. Pam Greer outfit. I don't think I can do it. Okay, that's fine. But I gotta say, the flight attendant outfit, <laughs> a banger. The yeah. the the overalls, man. Overalls, the overalls with the hair look. up, plotting out the uh, like the, she's about to paint a kitchen. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, about to do a house cleanup <laughs> montage scene. Yeah, that's a great Pam Greer. Uh, you get the red dress, sunglasses. The red dress, the red dress re- date with with Michael Keaton. Yeah, is great. With Michael Keaton squeaking his jacket while he just like <laughs> annihilates a steak. And they're both just dreamt. Just drenching their steaks. Never with seen steak so sauce. much A one steak sauce <laughs> dumped over a Kangol and A one got a boost from <laughs> from Jackie Brown. Exactly. Uh, man, Keaton just slathers that sauce on with mouthfuls of just food talking. Chewing. Oh man, the noises that he makes. Great, great date scenes. These yeah, rage lit. She looks great throughout. Uh, but the whole movie is about how she's not as hot anymore. Which I guess if you see any. Fox, you know, coffee, big bird cage, uh, Sheba baby, any oh. of those. There was no woman more gorgeous than nineteen seventies Pam Greer. Sure, I, I gotta what say that. No, I, I think out. this. I think this equals but it. Nineteen ninety seven Pam Greer is. I think amazing. this totally equals it. I love the way that she talks out to the side of her mouth half the time. How great is her mouth? I her mouth the- is like it's not out of the side of her mouth. It's as if her mouth is just slightly skewed to the right. Yeah. And so she's not. So it gives her this beautiful sneer. Whatever, whoever designed her with the with the kind of darker lipstick, but then her suits, all of it, they but, had yeah. her out. They they had her perfectly scouted. And the way she can just be so nice and and you know kind of serene with with Max, and then be able to drop the motherfuckers with Sam Jackson and get in his face and yeah. intimidate men the and best. The best, most She's telling stuff out so of those good. deleted scenes that we watched. You notice there was a couple where I think they had to delete a couple of these scenes because she was coming off as too smart and mm. too ahead of all of these guys. That she wasn't totally manipulating Max, but she knew it might look like like she was setting all of these people up. And I think a couple of these scenes right. had to be like, man, we can't. Sh-. Because she, she's kind of like a wolf in some of these. scenes. Yeah. She's so. Yeah. Such a predator, almost. Ordell is so domineering. You, yeah. the movie. <laughs> he's he's like the Grim Reaper in this movie yeah, man. at times. Too. Sam Jackson gets scary. He can be so funny. He is hilarious and, and scary. Well, he at is the same scary time. in this movie. Yeah. But when we were driving down here and passing through, I don't know any. L- I know all the L.A. neighborhoods, and I could not tell you where they are in relation to each other. Mm-hmm. Outside a loose, like, oh, yeah, maybe that's north of there. <laughs> I don't know. And, but Sam Jackson, man, this man has something going on in every t- every city <laughs> in the greater L.A. area. He's got business in Hawthorne and Compton and Carson. And, like, it's all, like, just Sam Jackson driving around showing how much he owns people, mm-hmm. essentially. He's putting up women all over... All over the greater L.A. area. There's a little surfer girl up in Hermosa Beach. Yeah. You know. uh, And then in all the scenes with Jackie Brown, Pam Greer is tough enough to just go, not just toe-to-toe with him, but just outfoxing him. Mm -hmm. And he's a fox, man. This guy is. She breaks him down. Yeah, he's got this kind of mask of toughness with everyone else that he can put on. 
and she's the one that can break him and get him to be like, dang, woman. Yeah. And just, hey, 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 whoa. You know, <laughs> you know and, and but the way he immediately recognizes the, when yeah. he's outfoxed exactly. every time with Jackie, and immediately it's like, now come on, Jackie, what are you doing? Yeah. You told the cops what? what yeah. What you, he's such a. <laughs> it's so perfectly handled. So perfectly it. takes the step back into guy getting like flustered mm-hmm. when he's been nothing but the coolest level-headed most confident man in any scene the scene with see any scene with him and forster when he is getting this bond for beaumont gives him the thousand he's going through the paperwork with forster giving him his address and and forster goes that an apartment or a house the way sam jackson sticks the landing on that's a house yeah yeah Mm-hmm. good stuff i feel that pride i get that this is a, that that kind of stuff is such an insight into who Ordell is, mm-hmm. what he came from, where he's at now, and how he views and knows where he's at now. And it's such a small sentence played perfectly by both of those actors. All the stuff with Sam Jackson pointing out Winston, right. oh big old tiny Lister, Forster's <laughs> employee, and Forster repeatedly not taking the bait. Exactly. He recognizes every piece of bait. And just flat out saying, you know, is white guilt supposed to make me forget I'm running the business? <laughs> just shut it down right here. Yeah. He confronts it immediately. And yeah, that scene when Sam Jackson does not expect to be called out using the race card, yeah. even though he knew exactly how he was trying to manipulate Forrester. Masterclass from both of them. Just can't keep your eyes away from it that's why i mean it's it's almost hypnotic yeah like uh it's so engaging and that's this is one of the quickest long movies exactly uh, that i watch yeah you you all you realize you're like an hour 45 in with the you know the kind of big like oh man we're hitting the home stretch and i realized i still had popcorn are we already at the drop here Yeah. yeah uh it's uh that's that's i mean more than anything to me that's what is so cool about watching tarantino movies is the way he can make long dialogue scenes in death proof so mm-hmm. engaging to me just watching those four women around the bar yeah uh, or or just the way <laughs> talking he can about just, nothing yeah just the way this movie is like a lot of talking and you just but that also you're on board for that's it, I guess. that's also this thing you know that happens in 70s movies <laughs> you know there's right. a lot of this like dialogue where it's two characters just walking with their bikes and uh, a lot of audiences today can't handle that my sister's mm-hmm. the type of person that fast forwarded through scenes in death proof you know right like let's get to the driving exactly stuff. let's these girls have been getting mexican food for somehow like an i don't hour. i don't get bored by it but yeah. i'm not i uh we know people that were very bored and hateful eight it was the same thing i saw it at third street uh that had title cards you know, act one, act two, that uh-huh. kind of thing. We got to like the final act, and I was like, shit, what? <laughs> I've been here for two and a half hours? I was not bored a second. I was hooked mm-hmm. watching Hateful Eight. You know, how many times did we see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And it's like, man, I wish wish it was like an hour longer. You know, I'm a, right. whatever he does, man, it I it gets me. And I, exactly. And I, I love it. And I don't love any more than Jackie Brown. Watching all of these characters and learning more about them and seeing how they react to each other. This is a movie 
filled with reactions, mm. acting and reacting, right? And it's great. You get so many different parties involved. It's so confusing. It's intentionally chaotic. Yeah. Elmore Leonard loves scenes building to this con man, chaotic, confused craziness, you know? Uh, and he was huge at the time. Once, once it got like, it was a big deal because Tarantino wanted to make Rum Punch. Okay. But he met Leonard right after, you know, Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. He was still a guy with no money. Hmm. Big, cl- big clout now, little money. So once Pulp Fiction hit big, then Miramax bought like five Elmore Leonard movies. So Tarantino can choose his dream Elmore Leonard project. Mm -hmm. Then there was the guy that's like, Elmore Leonard's like, "Uh, come to me when you have, you know, money, but I'll set it aside kind of thing. Miramax just bought them all and then turned them all into different projects, you know, uh, out of sight. Sure, uh, sure. was a great Elmore Leonard one. That's a cool movie. And, you know, Get Shorty had come out a couple years earlier. Right. So... Elmore Leonard was a hot, uh, all this guy that had written these books in the 70s was like, holy shit, this is great. <laughs> Stuff's amazing. It's got to be good. 80s stuff, you know? And so, yeah, my dad, dads ate that shit up. And why wouldn't they? What dad would, wouldn't you want seeing Get Shorty or Jackie Brown? So we had all the paperbacks. We read, I, I was reading all this stuff, and I love how Tarantino takes Elmore Leonard's world and totally turns it into a Tarantino kind of world setting it in all of those great locations that he finds of all these places that don't exist anymore oh man the the tarantino la yeah it's just I really do like it such a thing and it it was funny being there uh at yeah in west hollywood or wherever we were at and mm-hmm. it was like yeah this looks about right some of these strip malls and man some of these yeah, all the strip kind of malls. almost abandoned looking but then you'd see like some fancy restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you get like or... a nice brewery tap room and then yeah. three uh, boarded up buildings <laughs> and then like a, a like rabbinical academy. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> like, yeah. This... And then a strip mall that had like really small donut shop, nails, bail bondsman, all totally, that stuff. Man. That's uh, that's the LA that he shows on the screen and that's what it is. Yeah. And... But we get all these different stretches. We get Hawthorne out by the airport. We get the Cockatoo Inn. That's the kind of place like you can't go to that anymore. It's not there, and it looks amazing. It's That's cool, the kind of bar cool joint you can get used to going to the Cockatoo Inn. Yeah, the days of hotel bars. You know, it's a great look on film. But then you also get you know the Del Amo Mall, yeah, and uh, you know the big modern '90s mall culture shit. Right, and you get Forrester in like a light gray sweatshirt with the sleeves okay. bunched up so you talk about walking around the mall you talk about how amazing cool look <laughs> pam greer looks you talk pam greer in those blue tiles glittering in the background and her cabo air right stewardess gear going on the people mover to the tunes of bobby womack oh gorgeous everyone ever seen it's like her in her robe after washing the jail out of her hair gorgeous you know the backwards kangle, perfection. The business suit at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Power suit. Your favorite uh, shop girl was right to tell her uh, <laughs> how cool she looked in that suit. And then you get Forster's outfits, man. Oh, Ordell's fashion choices. Ordell uh-huh. has these combos of, oh, always coordinated. Red, yellow, all these man has bright the, primary the colors. The coolest sets happening. of gloves you have ever seen. Oh, the seen. gloves. So many cool gloves. Yeah. Uh, 
and Robert Forster <laughs> is just the highest wasted khakis you have ever seen and like Costco polo shirts. Those those polo shirts look so <laughs> uncomfortable. They look so itchy. I don't know how he does it. Forster's one of those guys who like Eastwood always stayed or Bronson always stayed in really good old guy shape. Right. So yeah. 57 years old Bronson of you see him an alligator and he's like, man, this guy's cut. 57-year-old Forster is still like, damn, that guy is in seriously good shape. But he's wearing he's wearing his knit belt khaki sla- Hager slacks just up to his boobs. It is the weirdest choice. But it's kind of Max, you know. He's that's wearing what, his he's wearing his crew neck sweatshirts with the sleeves. It's understated, just up. like he is. Yeah, yeah. He's simple. That's he's the wearing... guy you don't expect to stun gun you in your house in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah. if you miss your. Pro- he's not dog role. the bounty hunter. Yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> that's why late in the movie when you get more of Winston. Which is tiny Lister, you know, giant man in the holding a baseball bat that looks like the kitty bat you get at the uh, yeah. Like a Dodgers he's game the or uh, he's the guy you expect showing yeah. up to collect a a jumped bond. He finds people. Yeah, he finds people. But Winston at the end, at the big climax, he's wearing like Kirkland signature jeans and these big old puffy New Balance sneakers, just these dad jeans with another polo and his own pager belt clip. Yeah. <laughs> that's what really sets it in the 97 like that's what really yeah, lets man. you that, it's like yeah winston and, and max like look like they might be in a seinfeld episode at some point like they just have that kind of yeah mid 90s fashion going on. winston and max <laughs> and uh but forster still has this degree he's not cool because he does not care about coolness he does not care about being cool he stopped thinking about being cool a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He's a businessman now. And that attitude and not caring is cool. He handles cool customers without being impressed. And when you're a guy who's not impressed by people, that comes off cool. Mm-hmm. And so it's just you're seeing all these different kinds of cool. I love, I love everybody interacting with everybody. Bridget Fonda's scenes with Samuel Jackson. Bridget Fonda, man. Talk about a... She gets better every time I watch it. She was definitely, to me, the weak point (laughs) at the beginning, like the first time I watch it. Um, Yeah, because you're like, why are we watching this girl smoke weed for 20 minutes? Just smoke weed and watch old TV. Packing bowls in like the shittiest looking tiki mug looking (laughs) bong. Tiki bong. What the fuck? (laughs) Making a metrics. Just (laughs) making power shakes. Yeah. Oh uh, man, she has. Oh, yeah, she gets a, better. She's such a wasteoid. She's got this great Hermosa Beach, you know, apartment right on the water, and she just legs over a couch all day mm-hmm. with her soft little belly <laughs> from afternoons yeah. of TV and ramen. It's great, and the close-ups of the toes. That's where you really yeah. get that Tarantino shot. Like that- Spielberg's got his shot. Tarantino's got his toe <laughs> shot. You got some curled mostly unmanicured toes that's a big part of it apparently part of the (laughs) dirty and unmanicured gotta be slightly dirty and seeing that uh, on the big screen oh yeah it really sang (laughs) man that's when you knew you were in there that's when you knew it was really the magic (laughs) the magic happening yeah uh she's but she's got her own life and her own motivations and the idea of just chilling and watching old 70s car movies while getting high, you know, 
if that's where your aspirations are at that part of your life, she's done other stuff. Mm-hmm. She'll probably, mm-hmm. you know, she thinks she'll do this for a while. I have a cousin who had an apartment paid for for quite a while in the in the LA area by Benicio del Toro. Oh yeah, she was she's very beautiful. Uh, she's you know does she listen to the show (laughs) no probably not the podcast (laughs) type but you know she's the type of girl who works at who's worked at la malls as shop girls that kind of la grew up in la girl and yeah had an apartment courtesy of benicio (laughs) for a year or two while that was an offer so you know I mean, that's a that's probably not a bad bad gig if, if you follow. Benicio wants to offer me an apartment. Yeah, well, I'm not saying no. I'm not. I'll see what he wants. <laughs> I'm not outright turning him down right away, though. Let's see this guy's yeah, offer. Yeah, let's so, see the but, place. So Del Toro's probably a, he's like Wardell, man, without the gun running. Like, no, no, I can make my money from acting, but I still have a girl in Hawthorne and a girl over mm. in Brea and a girl. Uh, <laughs> you know, why not? And. uh it's so great. It's seeing her and having these ideas and seeing her and maybe maybe it's a rut for her. Maybe she used to be more vibrant. Maybe this was as good as it got. Yeah. You get that sense for sure that even at her young age, yeah, she's feeling that same yeah. kind of uh, uh-oh, I've missed out on something or or I'm yeah, I've waited stuck too long to do this, in this and apartment I'm getting, almost. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great movie about people stuck and People who even are just excelling up to their own standards. You look at the ATF guys, Michael Keaton and uh, Michael Bowen, mm. and you see how Jackie Brown's playing him because he's a guy who finds out the job's more important. And Forster knows that too. The way you get how these people, Ordell, Greer, Forster, they all have reads on people. They're all good at reading people. And it's really, the dialogue is so engaging at how they read people. It can come off very boring and cluttered and confusing, but I just love staring at them all too much. <laughs> just Our, watching Michael Keaton mark bills. Oh, man. And like Michael Keaton is Pam, a master of movement in seeing, this movie. Yeah, what a goof. Pam Greer kind of uh, give him that joke of, yeah, you ever think about just taking one and just the way he's able to just have that cool response. And yeah, like you said, just like, is she testing to see what he would do? Yeah. Is it one of those where, yeah, there's, you find, I find there's so much more of the motivation, especially with her than, well, when I said that it was a a movie about, you know, reacting everybody, especially our principal players, but even, you know, you see it in Melanie, you see it in all these characters. Everybody is just at the point of their life where they're willing to start pushing a little. And you see it in all these conversations where they're seeing what they can get away with. Mm -hmm. They're seeing what, if they could go back to things being a certain way, maybe. Seeing how much they can turn back the clock, maybe. How much, you know, how smart and spry they still are. So you get Melanie kind of scheming, and she's testing the waters with Lewis. You get Pam Greer scheming, and every one of these persons she's scamming, she doesn't know what the outcome's going to be, but she's testing it. Mm Because she's pushed to a certain point. We seem to fall a lot into movies where people have been pushed to a certain point. And you and I both seem to love all the different ways that can go. 
Right. It can be a spiral like Bad Lieutenant. You can be falling down. You could be falling down, man. Yeah. Or it can be somebody like Pam Greer who's just looking to get out. And that's a lot of these people. Forster is ready to get out. He's done 15,000 bonds. Yeah, you know, that's crazy. In 19 years, it's become his life. He's finding himself sitting at 2 a.m. in the dark in a strange guy's apartment with a stun gun, just waiting to cash in. Whole place smells like cat pee. Yeah. Ugh. And so you, that, you get into these situations, and it's like, yeah, because we have to, because none of us have 500 grand fallen mm-hmm. into our lap. And the way the smarts that Pam Greer gets to play out. From the vulnerability that she kind of shows with Max Cherry in the beginning. She's not a, a schemer in this movie until she finds her her opportunity. Hmm. And it's through the knowledge of Max. Max is the one that kind of opens this up and tells her what kind of time she's facing. The seriousness of these crimes. And it's a cool way for a character to dive into like their jumping off point. Hmm. And... You get the other kind of jumping off points, and you see how it, how her exact situation can go with Chris Tucker and oh, his yeah. one scene in the movie, which is an Man. incredible one scene in a movie appearance. Chris Tucker getting the and Chris Tucker as Beaumont credit in the opening yeah. credits. How yeah. cool is that? That's cool. That's when you know. That's when you're like, oh man, I can't wait for Beaumont to show up. <laughs> yeah, who's right? this Beaumont guy? And then right? they're like, and then they're like, oh man, they're talking about Beaumont. Like, oh, no, he's got to make bail for Beaumont. And then you meet Beaumont, and it's fucking young, loud. Post-Friday. Chris uh, Tucker. It's like that same period of Fifth Element. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's probably like the same year as Fifth Element. Yeah, and that's when America. he was hot. Well, maybe even Rush Hour was probably like a year or two later then, right? Rush Hour would have been 98, 99. Yeah. No, so in 94, 95, you had, you know, Friday and Dead Presidents, Chris Tucker. Oh, yeah. And then suddenly it was uh, Fifth Element asked the question of like, what would happen if Chris Tucker just screamed (laughs) in every scene he was in? I love it. I love him in Fifth Element. So funny. He just screams. But he's also the like the whole movie. When he he's also like the micro machine man of just like it's very, yeah. his talk Makita <laughs> is just so fast. But it's so crazy how Friday he is, you know, Chris Tucker, but in the fifth element, it's as if they just out of nowhere let him be his full self. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if if Kevin Hart had been a serious comedic. Oh yeah. A serious actor, but also a guy in comedies and then it was just like him being kevin hart in a movie the next year (laughs) and so chris tucker was suddenly suddenly had some cash Mm -hmm. to his name in 1997 and who knew what heights it would get to before dropping off immediately and going into exile (laughs) and that's another thing that this movie kind of either foresaw or again is just a meta part of it Bridget Fonda, after this, didn't really act after just a few more years. She fully retired. She got married to Danny Elfman, and then... Yeah. Because you and I were talking, like, what did Bridget Fonda yeah. do After When's the last time movie? you saw like, her? When, and then it's like, oh, we don't see Bridget Fonda anymore. And, you know, others, Robert Forster became the thing that gave him the most fruitful <laughs> portion of his career. Yeah. 
It was the exact opposite. He had been at the lowest point. He got that of Travolta his career. treatment. Yeah, Pulp Fiction gave yeah, he Travolta got the, that jump, that he, bounce. He, he got that bounce. Yeah, but you really, yeah, it, it's a uh, man. That Chris Tucker scene in this one scene, <laughs> it feels it's not quite a one shot, but it feels like it's just all one shot. Mm-hmm. But it that that scene in particular feels like Jackson and Tucker just riffing. Oh yeah, and just big time. Just bullshit through kind of the dialogue. How distracting could that have been in hindsight if you have Chris Tucker bullshitting through five minutes of your scene? Like if it had now, if you have a like, oh man, it's weird watching Pulp Fiction and seeing Kevin Hart. <laughs> you know, like that would be weird. It would it would just Chris Tucker had to age in a certain way as an actor. Mm-hmm. It's like Tarantino spotted these kind of careers that would look good in one of his movies twenty five years later. And Tucker riffing as Chris Tucker for five minutes. It's such a great scene. Just Samuel Jackson smooth talking Chris Tucker for the, that's that's yeah. also m- maybe Sam Jackson's best scene because he is just smoothing this guy that he's legitimately helping out, but the way he is being that guy without wanting to be that guy, but he also has to be a trickster and he nails all the different. Facets I don't think of what he's supposed to be. Yeah, you don't really know th- what Sam Jackson's ultimate plan with Beaumont is until he gets in the car. Yeah, it's it is one of those turns that's really great. And yeah, you're just kind of watching, going like, "What is what? Where are we going here with this?" And then that great crane shot. Oh of yeah, the car going into the field, chilling stuff while you've just been laughing and, and enjoying, and you're like, man, I love Beaumont. This is so good. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> this is it for Beaumont. That's all she wrote. That's it. The, guy, <laughs> the guy's just home on a weeknight. It's what, on a Tuesday night? Right. He's getting high. Yeah, he just got out of jail. He's like, high at home. Yeah. And he's like, wants him to get into a trunk to We're only going to go over Korea to Koreatown, to, man. Which we were nearby. So nope. yeah, then yeah. I was like, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the movie. I, uh... Yeah, it's Sam Jackson being like, look, I hate to be a good, do the favor, and then ask for a... Like, so he's playing up this, like... But there's... We know there's eventually that undercurrent of, like, yeah, you have no choice but to get in this trunk. <laughs> Beaumont, Livingston. For a guy who appears in one five-minute scene, his name does... you got a cool <laughs> name like Beaumont Livingston. You're going to want to have all of the other characters talk about Everybody you. talks about Beaumont at some point, I think. Yeah. I think Ke- Keaton <laughs> brings him up at one point. Yeah. Certainly everyone else <laughs> Forgot knows how much is. how much longer Beaumont's name lived yeah. on in this He's movie. He's kind of the linchpin of the whole thing. It's, yeah. It's he, one of those the things. The fact like, that he was going to flip on Sam Jackson to, to avoid a 10-year stint is the domino that's st- that gives everybody either their way down or their way out. Yeah. That's so it makes sense that uh that everybody's got to bring up and pay their respects to one Beaumont Livingston uh, <laughs> and that name. You just love saying you gotta that say name. Got to say it a lot. Everybody's got good names. Yeah. Good great name, great movie of names. Max Cherry is also top tier name yeah. for a character. I mean, it's tough uh you 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 go into cool naming. And it's very easy to get into like, oh, you know what the coolest name is? Not doing a cool name. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. It's the rule of funny names. Whenever you give like a, if you give somebody a wacky pun, it's usually not funny. So it's tough to come up with cool names without being like, ah, oh, this guy's just looking for cool names. <laughs> Nails it with all these names. And uh, 
That's this whole movie is just nailing all these scenes, getting into these characters, sticking with these people. They're all of their motivations. Some of their motivations are simple. Forster wants to run a business. Michael Keaton wants to be a really good ATF agent. Mm-hmm. He is like wants to be the ATF rock star. You know, Pam Greer just fell in with the wrong husband who was running a, a drug trade out of while being a pilot. Mm-hmm. She was a stewardess married to a pilot. And now she can't get a good gig at any reputable airline, so has to work for Cabo Air. These people all made choices, and they all landed where they landed. And I love how they all intersect. What's your favorite scene in the movie? Mm, favorite scene? Putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to say, the one I always think about when I think of the movie is that drop scene. Where okay. where it all goes down the five hundred thousand, not yeah. the fifty. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 drop scene, the music, the different points of view that Ooh, you get. That it, jazz. It's man. like that uh that Kurosawa film, right? Where you oh, see everything. Rashomon. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Ba- yeah. He does like a Rashomon in the middle of <laughs> Jackie Brown, where you get to see everyone's perspective. You get to you get to follow her into the dressing room where she makes the drop. With Bridget Fonda, then you get to see Bridget Fonda and De Niro get there and argue, and he's like, "De Niro losing it, trying to do trying to do like the quiet arguing in the department store." Yeah, you don't want to look like the asshole in Billingtons, but with this yeah. woman driving you crazy, and he's just like so conspicuous with his like slick back hair and like looks like he almost took his prison outfit out for like the job. <laughs> he's got this blue. He's such a thug. Yeah, and this I don't is get cleaned it. up, His Lewis. Blue collar shirt. This is slicked up, Lewis. Yeah, remember we earlier That's he's a, think, yeah. he's a bum. Yeah, I wouldn't say a bum. And then Lewis uh, sees Max Cherry give him the "How do you do?" sign, and then we get to see Max Cherry watch them, <laughs> yeah. and then you love to see a plan come together. When the when the camera uh, when the Max Cherry point of view camera goes from Bridget Fonda going into the dressing room, panning over, then De Niro looking right at you. <laughs> it's <laughs> such a great like, and then you get that kind of like. Now you see him do the high sign as like, oh, hey, okay. I've been spotted. I gotta, <laughs> I'm going to walk staring at him. So good. I love that. Yeah, because, yeah, especially <laughs> the first time watching it, being like, what is going on? Why do they keep talking about yeah. this money? And then to see it all go down, it's just like, oh, okay. I got so I actually have, it I have, for me. I've always wondered about that scene, that right in the middle of the drop, you know, every I'm a sucker for a heist movie. Totally. I love... And the best part of the heist movie, movie is when you're finally getting the heist. Mm-hmm. You hear the play, you know, that's not always the best part, but I love the plan of the heist. And then it's like, oh, now it's happening. Exactly. You know, all the, st- all the, the plan and now it's coming. Yeah. yeah, it's the payoff. And I've always wondered, why was Max Cherry waiting so visibly? Is it all, was because it was all that deep of a trap because they wanted Ordell and Lewis to figure out that Max, because that's what will get him to the Max Cherry bail bondsman, I assume. Yeah. It seems so risky for him to be that, is he just, because it relies on Lewis uh, being not dumb enough to make the connection that Max Cherry was there while they were doing it could have blown the plan altogether, it feels like. Absolutely, yeah. This does feel so I, like the plan really hinged on a few 
uh, lucky breaks. It also was a big break that yeah. Melanie got shot in the parking lot of the mall by Lewis. That oh, no. That's my favorite scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's him that, dragging her by the arm around a parking lot. That might be my favorite single line where he just says, don't say no. Just don't, just don't say he another word. He's trying to reason with her. So please just don't say, not, not another fucking word. And then she's like, all right, Lewis. Bam, bam. <laughs> Yeah, just, just by going all right, Lewis. Yeah, she and was. At, it sound, sounded like she, in her vo- she had been like she was apologizing. It finally found out like she was like, "Geez, fine." Yeah, and then he like, just shoots her right in the park. That was body. it. That especially the first time watching that was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it came out well, of nowhere." For the two minutes leading up to that, though, it seems like a miracle that there was not a. De Niro punching Bridget Fonda scene. He comes so close to punching her yeah. in that, I'll put your lights out. <laughs> comes wow. so close to her. Oh, man. it's It seems like a miracle. Intense. Knowing, you know, De Niro can be a method actor. It feels like it's like Bridget Fonda could have gotten a black eye with her, 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 God, she was such a troll. <laughs> it was so awful. She was so just trying. She wanted yeah. a reaction so bad. You talking about movie about reacting? She was begging for, and she got it. She got the reaction. She got the reaction. Oh my god, the patience of a uh, this man is pushed too far. He has dealt with a lot. Yeah, but I love when they even gave Lewis that idea to turn on. He could choose who he is friends with. He can choose who he trusts. He's not that dumb. He can connect. And he really respects Ordell. And the second Fonda starts wanting to double-cross Ordell is the second that relationship sours. Mm -hmm. They gave a little deep connection to Louis Guerra. (laughs) So that's your favorite. Them in the parking lot? Uh, And him finally finding his van? Right where I said it was. There's just so many things in that payoff scene. Uh, The way Forrester just kind of smacks his lips before he goes in to get... Or the way he says, away we go. I had no... Did you have a memory of that? And away we go, just like Cliff in smoking I, the funny I did not cigarette. Have to remember it. Uh, I did not remember Forrester dropping that line prior. But yeah, just there's so many moments in that uh, I, that I do enjoy. The so, Forrester, yeah, that, that payoff, that drop scene for real this time, as the title card says. Oh uh, yeah, or, right. For real, yeah. for real this time. Uh, I love all of Forrester's unnecessary reactions in that scene, where he goes to get the bag with all the money. His you were struck by the shop girl in this scene. And it's all because of her nothing interactions with Forrester. The beach towels, the way he comes out with the bag and kind of holds them up in front of her face while she's on the phone and like, eh, mm-hmm. got the bag. I've Such always, a dad move. I got to say, I've always known that shop girl was familiar looking. and You finally did something about I it I finally looked up. And her name is Amy Graham, and she is the sister of Heather Graham. And that's why she looks so that's damn familiar. That's why she looks familiar. Because she's like a... Basically, just she's almost the, looks like Heather she's Graham. She's the Dawn Swayze. Yeah, exactly. Of, she's the uh, Frank Stallone of the, the Graham family. Yeah, it's no. like, didn't get didn't get as good a forehead, didn't get the, the, the great eyes that, yeah. that Heather has. It's one of those things where she, she is a beautiful uh, girl, and then she probably just, all her family photos. Everybody's like, <laughs> man, look at, look at Heather. Look at huh? that young Heather Graham. Look at young Heather Graham. <laughs> My God. Hollywood's sweetheart. Yeah, but yeah, the way that Forrester's able to kind of just have that point at the bag, mm-hmm. everything everything he does, yeah, like it's a, a lot of minimalist movements from him, a lot conveyed through a little. And in every scene, the way he comes out of the movie theater in the mall, the way he buys the Delphonics cassette. Okay, 
So yeah. I love I love him going to the warehouse or Sam Goody. I think it must have been Goody because I say uh, yeah, you see the Sam Goody in the background, so it's got to be go. Goody. And Goody got it. And <laughs> or maybe uh, a tower. Maybe back then it was- did did my man buy a single? <laughs> <laughs> like we hear the we hear him listening to the same Delphonic song like six times in his car. So is he just so dumbstruck by oh, Jackie man. that he's rewinded his? Track one of his Delphonics greatest hits. That's a detail we need to look up because you can see what cassette it is when he's when he's pulling it out. So we have, yeah, I'm gonna have to go look look that up because we hear the same. Is he just? Well, he likes that. What Jackie plays that song on the vinyl, and he's, uh, yeah, he likes it so much that he just listens to that song. I bet he rewinds. I bet he, it's the first track. I bet he plays it in the car. Stop, rewind, plays it again. I did that with cassettes. I would do that Same. with a song I wanted to hear. A bunch I would of do times. it with a song I especially wanted to hear if I thought it could impress a girl. Buying a cassette though, that was a yeah, that was a nostalgic kind of moment <laughs> of him looking at cassettes in a store. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's like it's so great. She t- there's that whole scene between them and uh, talking about her vinyl collection. He's like, "Hey, records, uh. yeah, oh yeah, you never got into the CD of uh, revolution, Revo- the CD revolution, baby." <laughs> I love That's it. That's a term you're not Now she's hear got anymore. this incredible record collection of all these old 70s soul artists, you know. Yeah. There were there was a yeah, there was a chuckle in the in the uh, New Beverly crowd when she said when he says that you can't buy new records or yeah. new music on vinyl anymore. Can't buy anymore. new music on vinyl anymore. Oh, now you oh, can. <laughs> uh, my favorite scene is yeah, it would be it. one of the scenes with her, with Pam Greer and Max Cherry. Mm. Uh, I I don't think I know which one. When they were initially talking about getting older, that's such a great insight where it felt like it was written for those specific two people. Mm-hmm. And that really connects. When he's talking about his hair. Yep. Of course. And just that human element of like, you know, I, that, was, that was the one thing I did. I didn't like how my hair looked. Now I look like me. Mm-hmm. I like that. Everybody wants to look like them. Nobody likes this. And him uh, using his in to talk about her uh, big ass. (laughs) And uh, that's a risk. See, everybody's pushing their boundary, right? Nothing (laughs) wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) They're pushing it. They're they're getting to to a point in their life where they can push a little. Yeah. And hearing her talk about, because if you've seen any of these old Pam Weir movies, there's no better body. (laughs) <laughs> like so she looks and she's a knockout as jackie brown but you do hear her talk about her younger self you know robert forster is a guy who's been nude in movies mm. you know and now he's wearing uh you know <laughs> boobs high khakis with uh, a pager clip a pager that has 19 digits yeah just to send him a like hey call me <laughs> <laughs> yep. and but i think it's the final scene between them after the heist mm. has, has happened, after Ordell has been vanquished, after he's wasted several other people on the way to his end, uh, that final scene between them is... That one gets me. Mm. Her asking him to to run away. Her, her kind of... It's like neither of them quite know where it's going. And they can or what see, to do. And can yeah. see it going any of the directions. And they're kind of waiting for the other to nudge them 
Because she shows up and it's almost more starts more as an apology. Like, I don't want you to think that I was using you. Mm-hmm. You know, and she was using everybody else, obviously. She knew exactly how to compliment Ray Nicolette's police work right. to make him think that he had done his part. She knew exactly how to play up Ordell's ego. She knew how to talk to all. She knew exactly how to talk to Sharonda. Mm-hmm. You know, she knew how to talk to all these people, and it was more real with Max. It was, uh, and just the small idea that she wanted, at minimum, to know that it was a connection and not just a cog, right? In her scheme, that enough is important. But I also think their kiss is really good. The old people kissing at the end, kind of, yeah, it's a very specific, specific style of kind of an old school kiss. It's a good kiss, though. Yeah. And they, they I, get those first two, and then, but there's a pause, and then that third one really. When Forrester goes back in for a, for a last one, <laughs> I really love that moment. Yeah. That's a great movie kiss. And when I saw it, I was, you know, 16. It's a hard close up, too. And it's You're a right big close up on these mouths. 16. Uh, these people were both uh, older than my parents Mm. (laughs) when I'm watching this movie. Now I see it and like Pam Greer is 44. Like I'm 40. And, uh, (laughs) you know, like I said, I'm closer to Bobby than I am closer to I was when it came out. And so I'm a sucker for, uh, for older people falling for each other. Give me enough said, sure. You know, give me that, give me that kind of movie. I love that. And it was beautiful between them. I bought that connection. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about some of these Elmore Leonard adaptations because they're all made by different people. But the relationship and the heat that was there under the surface between Forster and Greer, I think of Out of Sight with Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, two younger, you know, hotter, more in their prime yeah. part of their acting career. But the steam for a PG-13, you know, for no sex scene movie between the two of them, it was hot. Right. Like, they just connected. And Greer and Forrester, you know, never working together prior. They just connected. What a find. Like, how could you cast these two people that hadn't been cast as leads in a movie in years? Mm-hmm. If we've, we've talked about Forrester a bit before, but go back and look through his 90s before Jackie Brown. <laughs> If you want to see Body Corruption 3. Right. If Yeah, if you want to see some stinkers. Yeah, this guy was at the end of it. This guy was lucky to pull in $1,000 gigs, and then he gets given this, a lead with Pam Greer. And, uh, and I remember him talking about that at the screening we went to with, with him in attendance right. of just the the gift that this was to him that and how grateful right. he was to Tarantino for yeah, that. And, this and, gave him... A new life, man. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. gave him twenty more years. He's of been work. he was honest. He was a hundred grand in debt, and it's like at that point, how close is he to being just not an actor? Right. You know, Rick Dalton. You know, it was getting to the point where it's like, well, I can mostly afford my home in the hills, but you know, he can still have the option of living comfortably in Toluca Lake. Forster, you're a hundred grand in the hole. <laughs> you know, Dalton owned property, and he could live comfortably just in a different part of Southern California, but still LA adjacent. Forster, when you're a hundred grand in debt, at a certain point, you are a guy who needs to work for like Comcast, right? And decide that maybe I'm not an actor anymore. Sometimes you retire, and other times you get retired. You know, and uh, 
I can't imagine how he even stuck around long enough to get Jackie Brown without just moving into a, okay, well, I guess I need to go work at that patio furniture. Well, thank <laughs> God he did. Thank God it Honestly. happened. Yeah. It's one it's of those a gift. Where... And all of these performances are, are real, just acting character gifts. I think, yeah, it's a gift for him to be able to be in it, but we have, we get the gift of watching it. Yeah. And it's, I, 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 I mean, I love I don't watching think that's him. a hyperbole. I saying, love watching him in Lustig that. and Fred Williamson movies. Oh, sure. From the nineties. Yeah. But this, this is beautiful. This gave us diamond men and other great late era. This gave him, you know, the descendants. Mm-hmm. And he played Clooney's father-in-law in a beautiful part. Yeah. This gave him just a whole another 25 years. One of the career. last things he did uh, on Twin Peaks, I mean. Twin Peaks. The return. The Twin Peaks uh, we did in 2017. A, we did the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh, yeah. That was, was maybe his the last left. role. And it was great. It was he's such a great role. So funny and good in that movie. <laughs> he's so good. And the he came goddamn that. Goddamn lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> he came that close to being just not an actor. Mm-hmm. Look at, you know, sometimes it happens. Jack Earl Haley. He just became not an actor, just like Forrester somehow got, got that another chance. To come back, got yeah, it. Yeah. Just lucked out. It's a you see why people can get enraptured by this kind of story by making it. You know, it happens. And Max Cherry's just a different kind of making it. He started his own business. It's not easy to start your own successful business, and it's a smaller scale thing. And that scene where he can, he's talked about dropping it. He's tired of being a bondsman. He's sick of it. He's done it enough. And when he gets presented with the opportunity, when we're really presented with it. Yeah. What would I do yeah. myself if I was given, you know, 500000 in cash? Yeah. That, it's, that really, question. it's really easy for me watching this movie to root for him running away to Spain with Pam Greer. And that same kind of awkward small talk that they're making because they know they're going to have to answer a serious question soon. So he's just, Ooh, what part oh, of Spain? Yeah, Madrid uh, or Madrid, Barcelona? Uh, like, yeah. you don't care. But they're just kind of delaying. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to want him to, of course, toss the keys to Winston, and I'm <laughs> going to Spain with this absolute out-of-my-league uh-huh. babe. <laughs> but, you know, until you're there, you know, he's... He does have a business, but this is all cards on the table. And I'm put. I'm thinking to myself, if that was me right now, it would be a 27-year-old woman who was telling me to run away from everything that I've spent the last 20 years doing and just go live with this person that I don't really know right. outside of this scheme that we uh, that we orchestrated. Outside of the criminal activity you participated in. Yeah, the in. illicit half mill that we <laughs> robbed from, from a gun runner. <laughs> When you put it like that, <laughs> that might be a tough in the moment. Yes, no. That's uh-huh. a big, uh, big step. We don't know his home. I mean, he owns a house in Koalinga. Maybe. I don't know. I probably. He's got bills to pay. We so I, uh, as much as I always want him to leave with with Jackie, especially after their kiss, mm-hmm. it's like, come on, buddy. What more? <laughs> If well, you're going to make a potentially stupid choice, man, you can always become a bail bondsman again. How do, easy is yeah. it going to be to find Jackie Brown in Barcelona? Well, I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> Winston could do it. 
<laughs> he could find her. Does he have? Uh, does he have a teams in Spain? That should. How far reaching is Winston's I mean, powers? I know it's too late to make a sequel, but Finding Jackie Brown would be a cool. Where in the world set in is, Spain? Uh, uh, sequel. Where did Jackie Brown end up? Uh, the final close in the opening with her rushing to get to her uh, her sixteen grand a year with benefits job, you know, running through that airport to get to her uh, Cabo mm-hmm. Air. To her driving away to who knows what at the end to the same Bobby Wolbeck sound. Across 110th Street song, which it's really easy yeah. to, to see her as that song, as she's kind of lightly tear man, I was getting choked up watching her in that scene. One of those great ways when a movie ends on just a long held close up of its mm-hmm. star. Wow. What a role to get. You know, nobody's ever so to go. I love 70s Pam Greer. Again, most ho- the hottest, most charismatic, f- most fun star of 70s movies. But it was also her showing her huge boobs every movie, <laughs> getting thrown into every Filipino prison, right. seducing every uh, black mafia businessman in L.A. to get revenge for her daughter. You know, it was all of that. This is her, like, she's ahead of everybody. And this is her reclaiming all of it. And I don't think she's, I don't think anybody could ever make somebody look more dignified and cool and respectable. She's a force on this screen. How cool is it to have video footage of you looking <laughs> this cool on a movie? And everybody in the film gets to yeah. say that. It's a masterpiece. I love it so much. We had to, we had to do it on 110. That's beautiful. It was worth driving down. Oh, totally. To another part of the state. We had a long state. We live in a long <laughs> state, so people. Long? It's a long state. Yeah. But it, but it, uh, we talked ourselves into it pretty easily. It was a fun trip. I'm, I'm glad we I'm did. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you, uh, this movie's everywhere. <laughs> it's on, it's on all the services. Take the opportunity to go look at some old Forster. Some old Pam right. Greer movies. Yeah, I was Sid gonna... Haig even shows up. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. There's so many movies where where Pam Greer seduces Sid Haig as a thug. Yeah, I was gonna as say a bodyguard. If you saw this movie like 20 years ago and you thought maybe it wasn't what you thought it was gonna be, I'd say watch it now, 20 years older. I think you'll get something different out of it. Yeah, I think you know what I mean. I think a lot of the criticism was just. It didn't have the cult, it wasn't the cultural zeitgeist yeah. that Pulp Fiction was. How can you re- reinvent and re- th- that again three years later? You know, oh, the iconic soundtrack, and this one was more just, you know, pulling cues from the coffee right. score. But if you saw this when you were 20, the idea of getting older and being in this place in your life probably, maybe, maybe, maybe didn't maybe. resonate with you. See it now again, and I think you'll mean something. You'll see that new perspective. It's seeing before sunset when I was fifteen, and being before sunset when I was thirty-five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The before movies feel very different uh, depending on your age, and I love that this movie just keeps aging. Thank you, man. Thank you. One ten. Here we go. Cross at hundred and ten. <laughs> Next year we'll have to do the next Forrester. Uh... Double feature. Oh yeah, New Beverly, this is a right? regular Beverly thing. The yearly Forster double feature. Then we'll fire back with the Don is dead. There you it's go. Probably almost always going to be Jackie Brown. I think so. So then we'll do next year's Jackie Brown episode and probably so on and yeah. It'll come to that then. But for now, <laughs> good night.